family, we're in the book of James this morning. James chapter 4, begin to read in verse 1. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the pathway to a powerful prayer life. The pathway to a powerful prayer life. James chapter 4, we'll begin to read in verse 1. Won't you stand with me, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in the book of James chapter 4, begin to read in verse 1. The Bible says this, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust, and you do not have. You murder and covet, and you cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you not think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit will do God what I cannot do and no one else can in here this morning. And that is convict of sin righteousness, judgment to come. God, I pray if there's someone in our midst that's never been saved, God, you'll pull the blinders from off their eyes today and you'll help them to see themselves as you see them today, lost in their sin, in need of Christ's righteousness, headed towards a devil's hell for all eternity if they don't turn and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. And God, I pray they'll make that choice today. God, I pray you'll challenge your church today concerning our our prayer life. What, what is our motive for the things that we ask? What's our focus in life? Who, who's Lord over our lives? Are we really a friend of the world or a friend to Jesus Christ? God, I pray as we come to a time of invitation that as your word is preached today and bears marks in our heart, God, I pray that, Lord, you will lead us into your invitation and we'll respond to the things that you want to do in us today. I pray that no one will leave today, God, grieving or quenching the Spirit. But we'll all have left, God, today, saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord because of what Jesus did in our hearts today. Challenge us. Your will be done. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. And I invite you to be seated. Remember that the book of James, uh, as we shared last week, um, this is not for the novice. This is to help baby Christians grow up and to the mature Christians that God desires and wants for them to be. And James has challenged us in the first three chapters with some very difficult things that we have to look head on uh, in the face of if we're going to look less like us and more like Jesus. If Romans 8, 29 is really going to be a reality in our life that we're conformed more daily into the image of Christ. And so today, James is dealing with the discipline of, of prayer. And prayer is one of the first things in the life of a disciple that will begin to falter and will begin to fade right before Bible study. 
begins to be a non-reality in your life. And if you're going to have a powerful prayer life, there's some things that have to be in your life. There's a pathway. But first off, I want you to notice two things that really hinder us from having a powerful prayer life that James bears out in this text. First off, I want you to notice this morning the problem with an unsurrendered will. The problem of an unsurrendered will. Look again in verse number one of our text this morning. He says, where do, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from desires for pleasures that war in your members? Now remember, the book of James is written to Christians. So my friend, if you're here this morning and you've never repented and trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, this book really isn't going to be much help to you that, we're, that James has written. This, this is for those who have turned from sin and trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life. But you can handle that even right now in the quietness of your heart. Just say, God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Christ died for me. I believe he rose again. I turn from all my sin and I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. It's that simple, my friend. And the good news is, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the first prayer that God ever hears is, Lord, save me, a sinner. But when you do that, friend, you have the opportunity now to begin to have a powerful prayer life, to know that when you pray, God hears your prayers. But in the life of a disciple, James asked the question, where do wars and fights come from among you? Not a church fight, but within our own lives. He says, do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members. He's not talking again about the members of the church body, but your physical body. You, you're all going to have a battle as a child of God until you step into the presence of Jesus Christ. And it's a war between the spirit and the flesh. The old you and the new you, who you are in Jesus Christ. James says, here's the problem. You lust and you do not have, verse 2. You murder and covet, you cannot obtain. You fight in war yet you do not have because you do not ask. He said, where, where does all of this unrest come from in the life of a believer? Well, it comes because we lust after things that God doesn't want us to have. We, we go to the farthest extent of even murdering to, to get these things. We covet. We want things that belong to someone else. We fight, we war, but yet we never obtain satisfaction. I've shared with you many times, the most miserable person you'll meet, hear me this morning, it's not a lost person. It's a Christian that's out of fellowship with God. It's a Christian that is not satisfied with the life that Jesus has saved them to have. Remember John 10, 10 says, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life, that spiritual life, but also life more abundantly. And so in his perfect plan, he's got a perfect plan for you. And when you come to a place, you say, well, I don't want that. Then you're going to be a miserable individual because you've then grieved and quenched the Spirit of God. The Bible says we begin to, to, to try to scheme, to, to find all of this self-satisfaction apart from God. And the reason we do that is because we don't have a surrendered will. All of these things we seek for are out of a self governed heart. We pridefully seek to attain these things on our own schemes and through our own schemes and for our own satisfaction and for our own glory. We stoop to a place where it's no longer a life that's lived for the glory of God, that's a life that's lived for us. Remember, friend, when you trust Jesus, your focus is Christ first, other second, 
and you're always last. But when you turn those upside down, Christ isn't even on the picture anymore. It's all about you and what you want and your plan and your desire. And James says these things come about because of these wars within you. You, you lust, you do not have, you murder, you covet, you can't obtain, you fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. It's not because you may not be asking God for them, but you're not asking for God's will. You're not asking for God's glory. You're not asking for God's plan. You're not asking for His purposes to be fulfilled in your life. Well, the Bible's teaching is this. If we would simply pray and seek for God's will and God's best and God's glory, you will always find it. Matthew 6, 33. Such a foundational verse. We say it all the time around here. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. What's Jesus teaching? It's straight out of His mouth. Jesus says, seek my kingdom reign over your heart. That is, seek my lordship over your life. And do that first and foremost above all things. I'm to be your main focus. Now remember the verses prior to that, he's just talking about all the things that lost people burden themselves over. And scheme and worry themselves to death trying to obtain. And Jesus says, don't live like a lost person. You seek first the kingdom of God. My righteousness over your life. And when you do that, then all these things shall be added unto you. Now, friend, I want you to know that a will once surrendered can slowly be taken back. And when you trusted Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life, you surrendered your life to him. And you hear me this morning. I don't care what you said with your lips. If your heart didn't reflect that and it wasn't reality, the words that you said didn't mean anything. Romans 10, 9, and 10 teach, friend, that with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. The words that come across your lips when you say, God, forgive me, a sinner. I believe Jesus died and rose from the grave. I turn from all my sin. I trust Jesus to be Lord of my life. It's not, friend, that somebody's here at the church like you're a prisoner of war with a pistol held to the back of your head. And, you know, you're blinking SOS with your eyelids to all your family. Nobody's making you trust Christ. When you willfully surrender your life to Jesus Christ, it's a willed decision. And I'm telling you, friend, God reads hearts. He knows whether you really meant it or not. But an individual that once surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches, friend, you can slowly take that ground back. Remember, the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12, we see David at a place in his life where spiritual fundamentals have become secondary to him. The Bible says it's a time where kings were to be at war. And it's late afternoon and David's still laying around in the bed. He shouldn't have been in the bed. He should have been on the battlefield. But he begins to walk in the late evening. You remember he looks, he sees Bathsheba. She's married to Uriah. He lusts after her. He takes her, the Bible says. He lies with her. She becomes pregnant to try to hide his sin. He murders her husband. He thinks he can hide everything. He's living in absolute misery. We know from the Psalms, as he, he writes down what was really going on in his heart, he was miserable. He was absolutely and totally, completely out of fellowship with God. You hear me this morning. Listen to me. How could someone who, was after, who had a heart that was just like God, who had a heart after God, 
end up where David was. It happened through little things. My friend, if it happened to David, it can happen to you. An unguarded strength is a double weakness. It's a double weakness. And the reason many people have no power in their prayer life, disciples who once had power in their prayer, is because now they have an unsurrendered will. They've moved back into a place where they're kind of at war with God. Look what the Bible says. You, you war. You murder, you covet. You fight in war. You, you ask and you do not have. You, you're not asking for God's will. You're asking for your will. Your will is no longer surrendered. David came to that place. He didn't want God to be glorified. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted Bathsheba. He wanted to protect his reputation. So he just murdered Uriah. And things begin to absolutely spiral out of control. And you say, well, I'm glad that'll never happen to me. Remember, friend, what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12, Therefore let him who stands take heed, lest he should fall. If you're one of those people that you think, well, that'll never happen to me, you hear me this morning, you're already on the slippery slope to it happening. Because you think you stand in your strength, friend, and not God's. Apostle Paul said to the church at Philippi, I can do all things through Christ who strengthened me. Jesus reminded his disciples, John 15, 5, without me, you can do nothing. And the reason that David so willfully yielded to that sin is because, friend, he had slipped in little things. Rather than be on the battlefield where God willed him to be, he was at home in bed because that's where David willed to be. My friend, you come to a place you have no power in your life with God, and you have no power in your prayer life because you have an unsurrendered will. The foundation for a powerful prayer life is a will that is wholly surrendered to Jesus Christ. Whatever he wants, I want. Look at verse number 3. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. It's not for God's will and for God's glory. You solely, the things you ask and you turn to God for are because of what you want for your life and for your will. So there's the problem of an unsurrendered will. Second, notice the product of an unfaithful life. An unsurrendered will, unchanged, will always lead to an unfaithful life. I want you to look up here at me this morning, you pastor. One of the burdens that I have in ministry here in the South in these days is this, that truths heard so often become, come to a place, friend, that they don't even touch us anymore. And that's where we're at in the South. I'll give you an illustration. I've shared this before, but it's the truth. Maybe you've heard this illustration so many times it doesn't even register in your ears anymore. We first moved here, we lived in Collegedale, just probably, I don't know, half a mile from a railroad track. And I'll never forget the first night that we were in our house. We were laying in bed, and I heard this rumbling. And I said, what in the world is that? And then all of a sudden... This horn just starts blaring. I said, what? Melissa, what is, that's a train. Is it in the backyard? Where is that? How in the world are we ever going to go to sleep? And then in the middle of the night, I'd hear, I said, these people never sleep? Just all night long. Wah, wah, up and down the train tracks. 
over and over and over. We lived there for five years, friend. Hearing that train, you listen to me. Five years later, I didn't even hear the train anymore. I didn't even hear the train. And I'm telling you, the church has been challenged so much about holiness and surrender that we hear these things and it, no, it doesn't even touch us anymore. Just another message on commitment. Another message on holiness. Another message on surrender to Christ's Lordship. Well, friend, you may stop here in the train, but I can tell you this, if you stop on the tracks long enough, sooner or later you're going to get hit. And I'm telling you this morning, if you are out of fellowship with God and you belong to Him, you better hear the voice of Scripture today. Because God's trying to warn you. You're out of fellowship with Him. And whom the Lord loves, He chastens. He chastens. And so it begins by having no power in your prayer life, by having an unsurrendered will, and that leads to an unfaithful life. Look what the Bible says in verse number 4. Not, not, well, legalism, legalism. Well, the, the preacher's just upset again, upset again. No, how does God see a life that is not wholly surrendered to Him? Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse number 4. Adulterers and adulteresses. That's what God says. God doesn't say it's just in and out, or it's okay, or it's just a white sin, or live the best life you can. God says any other thing but total commitment to Him is spiritual adultery. I didn't say that, friend. God said that. That's the relationship that when, when you get saved, you enter into a personal relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. And to have any kind of life that is not wholly surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, God calls us adulterers and adulteresses. Spiritually, that's, that's how He sees us. Why Ephesians 5? Because we are the bride of Christ. When you got saved, you became married to Jesus Christ. But when we turn our attention and our affection toward the world, God sees that as spiritual Adultery. Those of you that are married here this morning that sit with your spouse or your spouse may be at work somewhere else or those of you who are widowed or widowed now but you were once married. You wouldn't settle at all, friend, if your spouse was playing footsie with somebody at work. You said, well, it was only emotional. You wouldn't, you wouldn't settle for that. That's adultery. And God won't settle for it either, friend. But we, we've been brought into a place in these days where, well, now that's extreme Christianity to be wholly committed to Christ. I had a fellow tell me one time, well, now, Brother Chad, you're a preacher. There's a, double sta there's, a, there's a different standard. Friend, there's one standard. The Bible says, Philippians 2, 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also, who was wholly committed to the Father in all things, and therefore we should be. And anything less than that, the Bible says, is spiritual adultery. And that's the reason many have no power in their prayer life. It's because of unrepented sin. I've had people tell me that before. Friend, friend listen to me. Prayer is not about a feeling, but the reason people see no effect in their prayer life is because they have 
unrepented sin in their life. Psalm 66, verse 18, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity, that is, the Holy Spirit shows me there's sin in my life, and I go, eh, whatever, and I just keep on living the way I want to live, the Bible says God won't hear me. He will not hear me. It's, it's that simple. God will not hear any prayer that I pray. Why? Fellowship has been broken. Where once, the Bible says in Psalm 141, verses 1 through 2, this is what the prayer in a right relationship with God is to be. Listen to what the psalmist says. David says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. Well, what was incense? Remember, that was part of the tabernacle worship. Incense was placed upon an altar, and that sweet-smelling aroma would go up to represent the prayers of God's saints. That is, when we pray and God hears our voice, friend, it is a sweet-smelling aroma in His nostrils. God loves to hear the prayers of those who are wholly surrendered to Him. He longs to hear it. He never says, wait just a minute, hold on. My family hears that all the time because I can process one conversation at a time. Hold on, wait a second, wait, hold on. All right, you're next, you're next. God never does that. He didn't put anybody on hold. He loves... Now, friend, don't try to be holy. We've all got caller ID. You know sometimes when you see somebody's name, you sigh inside. Maybe it's mine. You're like, oh, it's Brother Chad again. What's he want? God never does that when you ring out in prayer. When you are rightly related to him, he's so excited, the Bible says. To hear from me is a sweet-smelling aroma. But what's the contrast of that? Hear me this morning. When you're in a wrong relationship and you pray out to God, you hear me. Those of you who sit here this morning with unconfessed sin in your heart that you're not going to do anything. I'm not just talking about sins of commission. I'm talking about sins of omission. You know you're supposed to read your Bible every day, but you're not going to do it. You know you're supposed to discover your spiritual gift and use it in the life of the church. You're not going to do it. You know you're supposed to put Christ first in everything. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, but you will not do it. Those are sins of omission. And therefore, you've got unrepented sin in your heart. You are failing, hear me, you're failing to regard the law of God, His precious Word. What does the Bible say about that kind of person when they pray to God? Proverbs 28, verse 9. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. God says when He heard you sing this morning, it made Him wanted puke. When he hears you call, oh, dear God, thank you for the day. Bless the missionaries. Thank you for my house and health. Amen. Thank you for this food. The Bible says, God's, the Bible says that prayer is an abomination to God. The church at Laodicea said, made him sick. They were lukewarm. Self-ruling over their own lives. They had an unsurrendered will, and now it's led to a place that they have an unsurrendered life. Give me an illustration. Imagine a man and a woman get married, Jack and Jill. And Jack and Jill come down off the hill, and they begin their life together. And Jack works hard, works 60 hours a week, has a second job in the afternoon just to make ends meet. Jill's a stay-at-home 
homekeeper, works, works hard, but one day somebody, uh, you know, is walking by the front of the house. Uh, just kind of a, you know, a, just a loafer. Lives in his mom's basement down the street. And long story short, they end up becoming romantically involved with one another. And they begin to have an affair. And Jack finds out about the affair. And he confronts Jill. He says, Jill, is this true? It is true. I'm having an affair with this guy. There's, we we kind of like the same things. We like to go the same places. We kind of have the same values in life. We really, I don't know, he just kind of does something, you know, for me, Jack, that you, you don't do. He's not wanting to go to church all the time and serve God, and he's not trying to have a quiet time and pray together. And all. It's just, it's different. I mean, I, I, I like you because... You've given me this house to live in, and there's food in the refrigerator. I've got good health because of the insurance policy we get through your work. But also, I like this life that I've got with him. And oh, by the way, I, need, I have a request I need to ask of you. We're wanting to go to Las Vegas together next month. Could you please give me $500 so that we can go on vacation together? You say, well, that's just absolute insanity, that illustration. It's not, friend. It happens spiritually every day here in the South. People become married to the Lord Jesus Christ, and then they begin to have an affair with the world again. And they don't want to give up God because God gives them a place to live, and God puts food in the refrigerator, and God gives them good health. But, oh God, please, would you give me all of these funds, honey, so that I can live with the world because I really enjoy the things I'm doing with them also. You see, it began with an unsurrendered will, and now it's an unfaithful life. The Bible says in verse number 7, you're adulterers and adulteresses. Do you not know, look at your Bibles, that friendship with the world is war enmity with God. Friend, that's not legalism. That is, thus saith the Lord. That's what the Bible says. Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world, that means to laugh at worldly things, to watch worldly things, just to be mildly affiliated with worldly things. It's not, it's not all the time. It's just, it's just part of time. I mean, I'm not completely divorcing God. I just don't want to completely divorce from the world. The Bible says that person makes themselves the enemy of God. That's what the Bible says. And that's why so many people have no power in their prayer life. They come to a place that they're not wholly committed to God. And friend, one really comes to the place you need to question, did you ever get saved? If that's okay and normal to you to even be that way. But the Bible teaches, thanks be to God, that there is a pathway for ultimate fulfillment to have our prayers answered. Third, that's what I want you to notice this morning. James is encouraging us toward maturity. Well, he's got some really shock truths to kind of get our attention this morning. And before we go forward, you know, it'd really do us well to answer that. Look at me this morning. I know, friend, these aren't popular messages with people. But it's right on the pages of God's Word. Do us well to stop this morning and answer this question. Do I really have a surrendered will to Almighty God? I mean, is Jesus really Lord over all my time? Over all my resources? Over my family? 
Is he Lord over everything? Have I really given Jesus a blank check for my life to ride out however he wants to? The second thing would be to ask this morning, do I have a surrendered life? Have I become unfaithful? Lord, how do you see me this morning? Do you see me as an adulterer or an adulteress? Have I become the enemy of God? Because, see, friend, Satan will deceive you into thinking that everything is okay. And he'll even put friends and people around you. And sadly, the Apostle Paul says in the last days, there's going to be churches that are going to be so popular, they're going to even help support that by saying that kind of lifestyle is okay. The Bible says, friend, it's not. It's not. Really do us well to stop this morning and say, God, where do I measure up on those two? Third, notice now the pathway for ultimate fulfillment. The problem with an unsurrendered will, the product of an unfaithful life, keep us from having power in our prayer. Notice here now, very quickly, the pathway for success. Five things, friend, you can do as a child of God to make sure and make certain that you've got power in your prayer life. Number one, there must be surrender to the Spirit. Look at verse number five. Or do you not think that the Scripture says in vain, the Spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? That word yearns means desires. Friend, you were bought with a great price. A great price. Your soul wasn't bought, friend, with a nickel that was found on the ground. It was bought with the body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your soul was bought with a great price. You are not your own. Romans 12 says that we're to be living sacrifices. Every single day, we're to wholly give ourselves to God. Ephesians 5.18 says, Be not drunk with wine, where is in excess, but we're to be filled with the Spirit. Heard this for seven years. He's not to be resident, but he's to be president of your life. Jesus is to be Lord over all of you. You hear me this morning. If Christ isn't Lord over all that's you, you'll have no power in your prayer life. But if he would be, that's the first step. But do you not think the scripture says anything? The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Number one, you must be surrendered to the spirit. Number two, there must be submission to the father. Look what the Bible says in verse number six. But he, God, gives more grace Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There must be submission to God's will and plan for your life. No buts, no well-I'd-rathers, it's just yes, sir. That's the only thing you can give God, friend, when your will and your life are wholly surrendered to him. You have to submit. Luke chapter 11, Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. The kingdom come is not just the kingdom he was establishing. That's what all Israel wants. Jesus says, my kingdom's not this world. He says, the kingdom I'm talking about is going to be right here in hearts and lives. That's why one person got it pre-Calvary. And it was a thief that was beside him. He said, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. He got it. He said, well, I've got still just a few moments here. Won't you be Lord of my heart before I die? That's how Jesus taught us to pray, to submit to his will. Not my will, God, but thine be done. That's the reason we're in the mess we're in. Genesis chapter 3, God told Adam and Eve, 
how to live, but they chose to go different. And by one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin. I want to tell you, friend, every time you come to a place and you say, well, I just think. Well, I just think. Man, you hear that at business meetings. People try to speak spiritual things. I'm praying for God's will. Well, I just think, listen, if anyone and you're in a spiritual conversation says, well, I just think, let me tell you what you need to do. You need to go, hey, what's that behind you? And then take off and run. Because Proverbs 14, verse 12 says, there's a way that seems right unto man. What's that literally translates? Well, I just think. And let me tell you where, well, I just think always ends up. It ends up in death. There's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of its ways are death. Friend, God's ways don't lead to death. They lead to life and life more abundantly. It's where it always leads. So James here is quoting Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 34. God resists the proud, the stiff-necked, the stubborn. He says, I don't, I don't need God. This, 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 this plan that I've got is perfect, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives his grace to the one, his, 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 his strengthening grace. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul had a thorn in the flesh. He prayed three different times and asked God to remove whatever the thorn of the flesh is. And make no mistake, friend, Paul was all in. He wanted God's will. And Jesus told him, I'm not going to remove it, but what I am going to give you is my grace. And it'll be sufficient for you. The Bible says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to those that humble. Those who humble themselves to God's will. Look at verse number 7. Therefore, submit to God. Number one, you have to surrender spirit. And number two, submit to God. Whatever God's will is and God's plan you humbly surrender to it, and you humbly depend upon Him. So number one, you have to surrender to the Spirit. Number two, submit to the Father. And number three, if you want to have power in your prayer life, there must be steadfastness against Satan's tempting. Because the devil's never going to leave you alone. If you're here this morning and you've never been saved, listen to me. The devil wants you just to roll up right now and think, well, it'll be over. And you've heard this train come down the track so many times. You're going to hell if you don't receive Jesus Christ. Christ is the only way. You know, just become numb to it. Friend, I'm telling you, don't you become numb to truth because one of these days you're going to wake up either in heaven or hell. And what you do with Jesus Christ determines where you'll spend all eternity. You better hear the truth this morning. The Bible says, therefore, submit to God, but also, friend, you need to be steadfast against Satan's tempting because he's never going to leave you alone. If you've never been saved, he doesn't want you to respond to the gospel. If you're out of fellowship with God, he wants you just to, to get mad that we're talking about holiness this morning. Call the preacher legalistic. That's, that's what Greenwood's known for. They're, just, they're, they're legalistic. They're always talking about being all in and being a disciple. And There's other places that aren't like that. You're going to miss out on God's best. It's not just here this morning, my friend. It's every day. Tomorrow morning... You know what God wants you to do? Just to roll. The devil wants you to do. He just wants you to roll over. Don't get up and read your Bible. You don't need to read your Bible. You don't, you don't need to spend time praying in preparation because you've got it, man. You've got tomorrow. You're you're good. You've got this. You don't you don't need to try to witness to your neighbor. You don't need to forgive that person that did you wrong. Matter of fact, you need to get them back. You need to get them back. And that's all the devil who wants you to miss out on God's best. 
But if you'd experience God's best, friend, you've got to continue to be steadfast against Satan's tempting. Look at verse number 7. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he'll flee from you. Don't become casual in your relationship with God. Don't become a self-governor of your will. Don't become a spiritual adulterer or adulteress. You keep resisting Satan, friend, and push him away. And the Bible says, in Jesus' name, he must flee. He must flee. Steadfastness against Satan's tempting. And then number four, there must be separation from worldliness. Look at verse number eight. Draw near to God. My friend, there is nothing sinful or worldly near God. And if you're going to... If you're going to have separation from worldliness, you've got to draw near to him. And the promise is that he'll draw near to you. Literally in the Greek, it means to come close. So close that there's nothing between. And failure to do so, friend, only leads to lukewarmness. And you look at those seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. The last church was the church of Laodicea. It represents the day in which we're living where the church was lukewarm. Oh, they believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again. And praise God, he's coming again. And we can pray and God hears us and he'll answer. And, you know, prayer changes things. But, boy, there's just some fun things in the world out there and to laugh at and some good television shows that talk. I mean, it's not all in worldliness. It's just a little worldly. You know, we can have both of those, you know. Just, we can just have both of those. I'm going to tell you what that leads to. It leads to spiritual lukewarmness. And let me share with you again, friend, remind you what God's response to that is in Revelation chapter 3. He says, it makes me want to vomit. Makes me want to vomit. Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you, know, you had with your mom and dad. I hope it was a good one. If it was a bad one, I'm sorry. I'm telling you this, friend, you can have a heavenly father that loves you. But I, I love my mom and dad. And when I was little, I finally got to a place that physical discipline didn't bother me as much as if I disappointed them. Friend, I want you to hear me. I don't want the Lord to be disappointed in me. I don't want him to be disappointed. Because nobody's ever done for me what Jesus Christ did. And the very thought that God wants to puke when he thinks about me will break my heart in two. But I'm telling you this morning, my friend, if you're riding the fence in sin as a child of God, when God thinks about you, your testimony, your life, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, He wants to vomit you out of His mouth. And the only cure for that, my friend, is to be separated from the world. You've got to cut off all worldly influences. Listen, if you're getting mice in your house, the first thing you've got to do is not put the cheese up, but find in how they're getting in the house. Where are the holes? How are they getting in? And my friend, if Satan's making his way into your life, it would do you well to stop. And parents, it would do you well to stop. What entrances does the devil have into my life, my marriage, into my family? And to ask God to plug up those holes. Separation from worldliness. He says, cleanse your, cleanse your hands. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you, you double-minded. Remember James chapter 1, verse 8 says, a double-minded man is unstable in all these ways. 
Can't be trusted. Can't be trusted. How can God trust us with his best when we're not even wholly surrendered to his lordship? There must be separation from worldliness. There's surrender to the Spirit, submission to the Father, steadfastness against Satan's tempting, fourth, separation from worldliness, and fifth, there must be seriousness about the matter. He says, lament and mourn and weep. Let, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Remember, Nehemiah came out and told the people, why are you mourning? Why are you crying? The joy of the Lord is our strength. But don't forget something had happened just before that. Repentance had taken place. Atonement had been made. But when that hasn't happened, the Bible says we shouldn't be walking around with joy in our heart because we don't have any. Why? Because David wanted, friend, something that he had lost when he sinned against God, and that was the joy of God's salvation returned to his life. Not salvation, but the joy that goes with it. And so if you're separated from God, friend, you've got to be serious about the matter. Before you pray, you've got to get clean. And not just this little flippant, God forgive me of my sin. Friend, you've got to be serious about it. Let me tell you how serious God is about sin. He let His Son die on the cross for you. That's how serious He is about it. And so we've got to be serious about it. And God knows whether we are. When you say, God, I'm sorry, He knows whether you really want to put it away or not. He knows whether you really want to be like Jesus Christ. He knows whether you really want to be all in. Lament, mourn, weep, be broke. Let your laughter, you know, the joking that you had about the sin, let it be turned to mourning. And the joy that you had over sin, let it be turned to to gloom. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. And listen, listen to me. He'll lift you up in His will. And what you need, as you ask for it, He will give it to you in His perfect will. That's how you have power in your prayer life. To be surrendered in the Spirit. Submitted to the Father, steadfast against Satan's tempting, separated from worldliness, and to be serious about the matter. I wonder this morning, friend, what your prayer life is like. Do you have power in your prayer life, or do you, do you even have one? And if you don't, I pray the Spirit of God will challenge you in this this morning. And you'll pause and say, Lord, What's, what do you see in my life that you're not pleased with today? What is there that's between me and you today? Because God, I don't want you to see me as an adulterer or an adulteress. I want you to see me as your faithful child whom you love, that God, you can count on to be used in this day in which we live to carry the gospel to lost people, to disciple, and to encourage others. Have you ever been saved? Friend, that's where it starts. That's where it starts. I want you to hear me this morning. Salvation is not about you joining the church. It's not about you being baptized. It's about on what side of sin you're going to stand. See, the Bible says that all have sinned. Hear me. The Bible says all have sinned. Everyone has. 
And there's a penalty for that sin. The Bible says the penalty for our sin is a separation from God in a place called hell. But Romans 6.23 goes on to say that while the wages of sin is death, listen to me, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Christ died on the cross to be your sin substitute. And the Bible says if you will repent, Luke 13.3, that is to agree with God you're a sinner, to choose to turn from your sin, and in so doing, Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, to trust Jesus to be Lord over all your life, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And my friend, you're going to be on the right side of your sin now because you stand on this side of it, on the right side. Jesus has now paid for your sin. And now when you die, and you're going to, the Bible says it's appointed to man once to die, and then the judgment. You have the hope that heaven will be yours. But now, friend, you can experience heaven on this earth. And part of that heaven is experienced through fellowship with God in a powerful prayer life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will speak and challenge hearts and lives today. God, I pray if there's someone who's never been saved, Lord, even in the quietness of their heart right now, they would say, God, forgive me a sinner. I turn from my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose from the grave. I lay my life at the feet of Jesus Christ. Be Lord over all my life. That's my prayer. Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you prayed that and you meant it in just a moment when they begin to play and sing, I'm going to invite you, after I pray, to make your way to the front. And I want to encourage you what God wants to do next in your life if you trusted Christ to be Lord of your life. Now, friend, if you've been saved, you know whether you're in a right relationship with God today. If you're not, I pray the reality of that last verse will, will really speak to your heart today, that you'll be serious about the matter. And you'll deal with the sin and experience God's reviving touch upon your life. Because, friend, you can't make it without prayer. You can't make it without God. And God works through prayer in the life of a believer. And if you don't have power in your prayer life, the question really comes down to this. Why not? And why would you leave here today without it? where the Spirit of God has challenged you today, wants you simply today be serious about those things. Ask God to clean you, to mold you, and to make you, and to leave today in a right-surrendered, fully committed relationship to Jesus Christ. God, I pray you'll speak to your church today. Father, your Word is powerful. You promise that it will not return void. And I pray that, God, what you desire for it to accomplish will be done here today, and you'll receive the honor and glory for it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's reverently stand there.